going to get into conflict resolution. And conflict resolution is usually an idea that people hear about in the workplace when you talk about resolving conflict between coworkers and that kind of thing. But with Valentine's Day coming up, I thought it might be fun to talk about what conflict resolution might look like in a relationship or the most important relationship, which is your partner, the one you're committed to, married to, living together. You and I both like talking about relationships, so this is a uh -huh. good one for us. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there are steps to conflict resolution, and they are probably going to look a little different than what you might think of as the typical workplace conflict resolution. So let's start there with what are the steps to conflict resolution? So the steps for me, I mean, these are just my steps, you know, so I'm working with this with couples every week, you know, sometimes every day with couples. And one of the, you know, you brought up the idea of conflict resolution within the workplace. And one of the big differences in those two situations is in the workplace, typically there's going to be some sort of power differential. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the conflict resolution, say, between a boss and an employee, now, where it might happen, where there's similar steps is if you have coworkers who have some sort of conflict resolution. But even then, you know, there there's more of a political, I think you would call it, environment within the workplace. So, you know, oh, yeah. people vying for position and for favor and things like that. So, you know, within a marriage or a committed relationship, I think first and foremost, you have to approach it from the idea of you're on the same team mm -hmm. and that you are in this together and that you're working together to come up with some sort of resolution. So I'm going to just talk really briefly about the communication piece and because I know we've done a previous episode on this, but I just want to bring it up again. Listening is going to be the most important skill period. Yes. That's it. Yep. And under that, and I think we've talked about this a little bit, but there is a conversational uh, technique. I think we call it reflection. And so the idea of you have to listen really well in order to be able to reflect what the what you're hearing from the other person. And so those two really go together because I think the, you know, the other steps of validation and empathy, which we've talked about, you have to be able to reflect what you're hearing. Then the other person knows, okay, they're paying attention. The other person's paying attention. Then when you do the validation and the empathy, it feels more genuine. Mm -hmm. One of the mistakes that a lot of people make by not listening well is that the validation and the empathy, or if I hear this a lot, you say, I get it, I get it to the other person. I mean, that's a really dismissive in yeah. a lot of ways. But what it's saying is, I don't really want to listen to you. I want you to listen to me. Mm -hmm. So the reflection is a really good technique. It tends to slow the process down. And then it also, you know, lets the other person know that you're really paying attention. Yes. So that's all we'll talk about as far as that uh, goes. I'm going to give the listeners another idea. And I don't think I've talked about this before. So Gottman, you know, in his research, he's the guy who does the, the research on successful marriages compared to those that are not. And he has what he calls an appreciation exercise. And I use this a lot with couples. And I wish I could actually figure out some way to convey this list of words. And so he has this whole list, a very long list of qualities that you look at and you might say, oh, I appreciate that about the other person. 
Now, if the conflict is not that serious, like if you're really, you know, in a strong conflict, you may not be able to do this. But I think if you start off by saying, here's some things that I really appreciate with you, what you're doing is you're setting a whole different tone. And I think that one of the missteps that a lot of couples make is a conflict comes up and they go right into it. And I think we'll get to that, you know, as mm-hmm. far as timing, because timing yep. is one of those steps that is really important. Yeah. If you have a conflict, you don't need to solve it right now. And often it's really helpful to break or to, to change the tone mm-hmm. from a conflictual one to, hey, you know what? We have some really positive traits in this relationship. And here are some of the things that I appreciate about you. And so just briefly, that appreciation exercise is you pick a trait that you appreciate, but the important thing is you actually come up with an example mm-hmm. of, and here's how I know that you have this trait, you know, when yes. you this last week. And it, that has a lot of meaning for the other person, because again, it conveys to the person, I'm not just making this up in my head. I've actually thought about it. And, you know, these are things that I appreciate. Uh, about you. So if you can do that, then I think that's really an important first step. It changes the tone. Yeah, I agree. And I think the tone of how you go into resolving any type of conflict is really important. And I know we've, and I know we've talked about this before that if you come into this with a position of attack of this is wrong and I don't like this and it needs to stop or it needs to change, then the other person's immediately going to put their defenses up. And and you're not going to get very far. Whereas if you come at this from an attitude of, so this is what's going on and this is how I'm feeling about it, then it's likely to be a completely different conversation. You know, so I mean, Curtis and I, we've had our squabbles or we've had things that we've had to work through before as a couple. And thankfully, for the most part, they've always been pretty minor. And maybe this is more of a a me thing, you know, but there's definitely been times where he said something or he does something or he's repeatedly doing something that I just don't like or it bothers me. And so, you know, what I'll do is I'll go to him and I'll say, hey, so I understand this isn't what you mean. This isn't what you're trying to do. I I know you don't mean it this way, but this is how I feel about it. And he then responds in kind, very naturally with, okay, yeah, I understand how you're feeling or I understand and we fix the behavior. And that's worked really well for us. But I think you're right about the timing. You know, I mean, if if he's in the middle of work or if he's really busy, yeah, or if he's, you know, yeah, you know what you brought up, the way you described what you and Curtis are doing is exactly this idea of the listening, the validation and the empathy, because what I hear you saying is you're focusing more on the emotional content. Mm -hmm. This is how I felt about this. And so and his response in a simplified way is, okay, I understand how you feel. And, And again, it, I've said this before when we talked about this uh, communication piece is if you get stuck on the facts, mm-hmm. to, you're going to see the facts differently. Yep. But if you say, I felt this way, I felt hurt or I felt angry or whatever it is, and the other person can get to the place where they understand your emotions, you can't argue with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can I say to you, Liz, you didn't feel hurt. That's not true. People typically don't say that. No. They, and so you just want to go into, okay, tell me, you know, I'd like to know how, how was this hurtful? So you bring up a really good point about focusing on the emotion and, you know, listening to it. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of these steps that we're going to go over, as as I just thought about it, these are really attitudes that I think you have to cultivate before, because a lot of these things we're talking about are almost pre-steps, getting the right environment, getting the right context in which to have a more productive you know, dialogue about whatever mm-hmm. it is that's going on. So this is another thing that comes from Gottman's research. It's very clear, and maybe this could be the one takeaway for people today. The fastest way to resolution of any conflict is for each person to accept responsibility for their part mm-hmm. in the argument or disagreement. I realize this is difficult. And one of the reasons that it's difficult that I'll talk a little bit more about is the idea often we think we're right. So yep. we'll put that over on the side. But his research has shown this over and over again. And I see it in in the office all the time. In the office, you know, couples come in and there may be some high conflict. If you can get them to settle down and see the appreciation first and then help them both acknowledge their parts, the whole thing softens. It's just the environment is totally different. And I think you know, often what we want is really our partner just to acknowledge that they did this and they want us to acknowledge, well, we did this. Mm-hmm. So the, I think, biggest obstacle to accepting responsibility, often we think we're right. We have this notion of my way is right. Now, this is kind of an overall marriage thing that you need to work on. Is there are many ways to do different things Yes. in life and in marriage? And I think you know, if you get stuck on minds the right way, that is the recipe for conflict. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a lot of it too, is that we like to be right. You know, we like to think that we're in control. And I think a lot of times when there's conflict, something's happening that's outside of our control. And we don't want to let go of that control when our partner comes to us and says, hey, I don't like the way you're doing this, or I don't like the way this is going, or this isn't working for me. Well, that means that there's something going on that you have to change. And all of a sudden, there's this situation that's not in your control. And as human beings, we don't like that. We don't like that. Now, here's an interesting thing I've heard people talk about is we've spent, what do we spend, 12 years? Uh, 12 years in from kindergarten through you know, mm-hmm. 12th grade for our senior year. And then uh, you know, many people go on to college. Being right is rewarded. Yeah. And so we have all those years of being rewarded for being right. Now, and we don't spend enough time helping people in relationships understand that in relationships, it's not like the answer to a math question or a physics question, but we get stuck in that idea. And so what I've seen, I, I see this often is people become entrenched in their whatever they think is right. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're entrenched, then it's going to be really difficult, maybe impossible to one, either not be defensive or even to be able to listen well, to do the reflection and the validation and the empathy of, of the other person. And I just want to remind listeners, validation does not necessarily mean you agree with the other person. You just have to get to a place where you can you know, be able to see it from their perspective. So I really think you've got to give up this idea of being right or wrong. Yeah, because sometimes there isn't a right or wrong answer. And I think another question that you need to ask yourself with conflict resolution is, does it really matter? Is it worth 
the battle. So I can think of a good example recently with Curtis and I, and it was over something small. So we have in our room, our light in our in our bedroom is a fan and we have remote control so we can turn the fan off and on with the remote. We're working on getting the number right and we're going to install a couple more remotes throughout the room for convenience. And we're discussing the number that we need and for some reason, this came up like right as I was getting ready to go to bed. And he said something about the number that I needed. And I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound right. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, that's too many. We don't need that many. But then I'm also thinking, is now really a good time to get into this? Well, what, you know, so you have one more remote. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, for one, does it matter if we have an extra remote? And for two, do I really want to have this discussion right now when I'm really tired and want to go to bed? And I thought, mm, no, I'm just going to pencil this in and we're going to talk about this at a different time. And it was a couple of days later and I brought it back up and and he explained what he meant by, oh, no, this is why we need the other remote. And I said, oh, OK, that makes sense. And that was the end of it. Not, right. Maybe not even really a conflict, just a discussion. And so, you know, don't do it when you're tired. That's probably right. So you're bringing up a really good point. And again, this is almost like a pre-step. Pick the time, choose the time. Yeah. And I really agree. Don't do it late at night. Yeah. Nothing's going to be gained. You're both tired or maybe one of you is tired. You're ready to go to bed. That is not the time to start engaging in some conversation where you really have to be listening well to the other person and have validation and empathy. You know, we have limited emotional resources. We aren't. Yes. It's not like it's unlimited. And so mm -hmm. pick the time. Don't do it late at night. I think it, that goes something that goes along with that is the idea of setting an appointment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people resist this, which I, I don't really understand it. Although there are certainly some people, I think it's more anxious people. Yes. Um, have that idea of, I really got, I've got to solve this right now. This is yep. bothering me. I need to solve it right now. Now, I think the great thing about setting an appointment is you both become ready. Like, I would like to talk about this. When would be a good time? So it's respectful mm -hmm. and, you know, you can come up with a time. Now, the anxious person over time, I think they can learn to be less anxious, at least about this, because if you then follow through, let's say we set a time tonight at eight o'clock, we're going to sit down and have this discussion. Mm -hmm. And if at eight o'clock, both of you are really aware and say, okay, it's eight o'clock, we're going to do this. What you end up doing is you build trust. You build trust that we can actually set an appointment and we'll come to it and we'll talk about it. Because I think the anxiety, the fear is we are never going to solve this. We're never yeah. going to adequately get this taken care of. And so they don't want to let the other person go. Another piece that goes along with this is I really believe in time-limited time limited discussions. You've got to have a, some idea of how long this is going to go on before you take a break, because I do hear this very often one person, and again, I think it, it ties into anxiety. One person just wants to keep going and it's almost like they're spinning yeah. and they can't get, they can't stop spinning. And the other person is doing their best job to really say, okay, I get it. I understand, but still it's hard for the other person to come off of it. And so I think you have to agree, you know, we'll go, let's go a half hour. Let's go 45 minutes. I think any longer than that, you get worn out. And you, those, those emotional resources that you really need to be effective get depleted. So I think choose your time or, or set a time, set an appointment. And then maybe you need to agree 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about this. And if we don't have a resolution, it's okay. We will put it on hold. And hopefully you've built up that trust that says we will come back. And, and I think I've said this before, do not say we will talk about this later. Mm. It's too ambiguous. Mm. Say yeah. we will talk about this tomorrow at 10 o'clock or something, or we will talk about this tomorrow after breakfast or after dinner. So set a very specific time that you can grab onto. If you say we'll do it later, later never comes. It's always later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, later, my kids hate it when I say maybe later. Yeah. (laughs) You've just said, I don't know. (laughs) I basically said no. I mean, I should just own that I'm saying no. But anyways, so I think another good tool for conflict resolution should be, you know, a temperature gauge or a temperature check. Check the temperature of the room between yourselves. If things are starting to get too hot, take 15 minutes and stop. If Take a time you, out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But yes. again, with time out, with timeouts, and I think we've gone over this in previous episodes. It's really important to set a very specific time to come back. Yeah. Let's take a break for fifteen minutes or a half hour. And again, a lot of the anxious people typically don't like to do that because their history with their partner is probably one where they don't come back mm-hmm. to talk about it. And it just gets left. You know, that's not good for the person with that anxiety, but it's also not good for the relationship. You really, because I do hear a lot of couples come in and say, we never get to a resolution mm-hmm. or, you know, some sort of agreement. And so I think that you're, you're exactly right. If either one of you starts to flood, which is the equivalent of taking the temperature, mm-hmm. take a break, but set a very specific time to come back. Now, the other thing in that break, you've both got to go do something to calm down. Yes. Don't yes. just go off and spin more about how you're right. Because yeah. you're going to come back and it's not going to be good. Yeah. Don't go off and brood and think about it. No. Take You got to take a mental break from it too. Do something to take your mind off of it and try to come back at it you know, with a fresh perspective. Yes. So, you know, the, you have to be able to quit using the words like always mm. and never. One of the things that doesn't work is they're almost never true. Yes. I've seen this so often. If the person says you always do X, Y, Z, what happens in the person who's being accused of that, they, they then shift to, well, wait, here are the times that I don't do that. So that you've lost the thread of the discussion and you've gone on, you've, you've shifted more to facts. Well, I don't do it this time or I didn't do it that time. Yep. Instead of talking about, you could change those words never and always, we call them absolute words. Don't use absolute words. And so you can change always to, you know what, I've noticed that you often do something. Yeah. And when it's softer, It's probably more accurate. It's really hard to disagree with, usually. Mm -hmm. What you want to do in conflict resolution is you want to decrease the likelihood that you're going to make the other person defensive. You know, that defensiveness that you brought up earlier. And one of the ways to do that, well, all those steps that we've talked about, but also not using absolute words. It's really easy to use those. And you've got to learn to catch yourself and replace the word with something that's more accurate. Or rather than just pointing the finger and saying, you always do this, say, when you do this, it makes me feel this. Excellent. 
Yeah, yes. and so, you know, make it about the emotion of the way it makes you feel because you can't be wrong about your own emotions. And You're starting can't... to sound like me, Liz, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I agree with you, but it, it, it is, maybe you and Curtis do that well. It's really tough to get couples to shift from fact-based to emotion-based, which is what we're talking about. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we're just easygoing people. <laughs> I, I think that has a lot to do with it. So the more steps, when you're actually engaged in the conversation, I have seen this in my office and I have to step in where one person keeps going. Mm -hmm. And there's this old, old idea. We used this years ago when we worked at the family support center called the talking stick. Yes. And, and I actually made this very cool stick. We were working with kids at the time. And, you know, so to pass in this group setting and to pass around the stick and whoever has the stick is the one that gets to talk. And also it's the focus of I'm going to listen to you. So if you sometimes I think couples could probably benefit from having the same type of device. Yeah. One, it's the it's a cue. It's a visual cue that says I am listening to you. Mm hmm. But you also have to be willing to give up a talking stick at yeah. time. It's yeah. hard to put a timer on it. I don't know yeah. how to do that. But, you know, we're adults here. We can really self-regulate, hopefully, and realize, okay, I've been talking for a while, and it's important that the other person has a chance. Here are a couple of other, I think you could call them steps or just techniques. I hear this in the office, and I know people do it at home, where they bring in allies so they're saying, mm. well, you know what, your family thinks the same thing, or I've heard your friends talk about this and they're saying the exact same thing. That is a nope. huge mistake. Yes. You've got to keep it between the two of you, period. Mm -hmm. It's the two of you only. That's, yes. what, that's what you're talking about. Do not bring in allies. The other thing that I often see couples do right in my office is, and, and I see it as almost this branch. And they'll branch off and they'll start bringing in other subjects. And if you don't control that, you know, 15 minutes down the road, who, who knows where you are yep. and because they've lost the thread of the original topic or the original issue. And you really want to train yourself. I think it's just training and paying attention. If you bring up a subject, you know, subject X, stay on that. Do not divert. Now, it doesn't mean that the other subjects are not important. It just means you, you're going to have a different conversation about that at a different time. And so stay focused on yes. what it is you're talking about. Because in the end, you know, I think I talked about this with those steps of listen, validate, empathy. There's actually the fourth step, which I, I don't talk about that often. The fourth step is resolution mm -hmm. or ha having some sort of, you know, solution because, I certainly hear this often that one of the problems with conflict resolution is they often, the resolution piece doesn't happen. Yep. And they're really good at the conflict part uh -huh. and they're very good at coming up with what's the solution of the resolution. But I really believe this and I've seen it so many times. You have to do those first steps, all the things we talked about, listen, the validation, the empathy, focusing on the emotion, not using those uh, absolute words, pick your timing. And once you do that for each other, where you're really getting the other person's emotional experience, then one of you says, what should we do about this? Or how can we, what's the solution to this? Mm -hmm. And 
what you're doing, all these things we've talked about before is you're setting the stage for a more effective conversation about what the solution is, which is where you want to get to. A mistake that so many couples make is they go right to solution and they're being defensive and they're back to, I'm right, you're wrong. And they aren't listening to each other and they're probably tired. And so a lot of this I'd say I call it process or it's procedural. You really have to think about what your process is. I think conflict resolution in couples is mostly about setting the correct process or the right process that increases the likelihood that you're going to get to that resolution or solution stage and have a really productive conversation. And people don't. All all the things that we've talked to, the steps, uh, that's what it's really about. I'm convinced that most couples, I see this, even though they their process might not be very good, is they really love each other and they really care each other, about each other. Yeah. They're just having trouble conveying that and getting, and they don't set the context of the discussion or the argument in the right way so that they increase the likelihood of a good outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said it perfectly at the beginning. You need to remember that you're on the same team. Yes. You know, ultimately you're working towards the same goals. And, you know, we talked about timing and, you know, picking when to have your battles. You also have to think, is the battle really worth it? And I think sometimes it's important to ask yourself 10 years down the road, how much is this going to matter? And here's the key for me when I ask couples, they'll come in and they'll say, well, we had this really big, they'll describe it as we had this really big argument. And my next question is, if we're going to go into it, I say, well, what was the argument about? Do you know how many times people go, I have no idea. (laughs) That is a a clue that says whatever it was you were talking about was not that important. Or that it was really about something else. Or it was about something else, yeah, which we do talk about that as well. But still, most people, it's about their process. And what they're really upset about is their process, not necessarily whatever the issue was, because, you know, three days later, they have no idea what that issue is. Another important thing I forgot to mention, don't bring up the past. Yes. Bringing up the past, I mean, it's almost, it's kind of in that same category as bringing up allies, you know, so-and-so says this about you and in the past you did this. They are just not good tools to have to talk about a current conflict or to come up with a solution because what, what that does, we go back to defensiveness. If one or both of you are defensive, it kills the process. Yep. It just kills it. And so maybe the takeaway should be work on not being defensive, because if you cannot be defensive, you've just increased the likelihood you'll have a positive outcome. Yeah. And, you know, being defensive can go both ways. I think, you know, that's why it's so important when you want something to change in your relationship, big or small, you need to come at it from an attitude of, I would like things to be different, not you need to do this. You need to change this. I think your attitude going in makes all the difference. So, I mean, if you can learn not to be defensive, but also learn how to approach it, you've got to approach things the right way. I mean, because the approach is everything. The approach is everything. It's what I call process. And I think we mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again, that if you go into it with the attitude of a we, 
instead of a you and an I, like you could even say, I would really like it if we could do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever this is, I would really like it if we could approach our conflicts in a different way. Then, you know, it's not about you, you, you. And so when, you know, if you can approach it from a we perspective, again, what you're doing is you're decreasing the defensiveness or the likelihood that one or both of you will be defensive. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give a book recommendation for a change. Oh, good. Yes. So this is a book that I recently listened to. And uh, Mark, I've told you about this book before, and I know you don't agree with the title, but I thought it was a a worthwhile book. It's called Everybody Fights by Kim and Penn Holderness. And they're an internet personality. And the subtitle is So Why Not Get Better at It? And I know that idea. I just wouldn't use the word fight. That's all. I just have an issue with that word. Right, right. So I mean, but it's this couple who they've been together for a number of years, and they do like these really cheesy, funny parody songs on mm-hmm. on the internet. But I mean, you know, they've sure made a go of it. I mean, a lot of people know who the Holderness family is. And anyways, and so they talk about a lot of really good things in this book about what they've learned from their fights, as they call it. And they focus on a lot of the things that we've touched on here in that you've got to listen to what the other person is saying. And so I enjoyed the book and I think it's worthwhile, if nothing, just to learn how to learn from your mistakes, learn how to learn from these arguments or something gets so big and so out of hand, learn from it. I I agree. So I think I'm glad you brought the book up. Effective problem solving takes time and practice. It's, you know, it requires learning. I agree with you 100%, Liz. It requires learning from your mistakes. I just have a a problem with the word fight because Mm -hmm. there's a whole different connotation to that. I would say everybody, every couple, and I really think it's true, has disagreements. Yes. Every couple has disagreements. So why not learn to do a better job of resolving those disagreements? You, You cannot be married. I just can't imagine being married. You bring two people together. Why would you not have disagreements? Of course oh, yeah. you have disagreements. So, yeah. You know, plan to do a better job at resolving the disagreements. Yeah. I mean, if you walk into a marriage knowing that you're not going to get along all the time, then, you know, your marriage is going to go a whole lot smoother. I think people think that, you know, once they get married, they're just, they're going to be in love and they're going to be so happy that there, you know, there's never going to be any problems. Well, let me tell you, that's Disneyland. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, well, actually, that's a good point. It's the Disney movies where the birds are flying all around and they come and light on your shoulder. You happily, happily ever after. Happily you're ever thinking, after. You're thinking about a Disney movie. The Snow White and the Prince. Uh-huh. You don't see two years on when they're arguing about, you know, who left the bathroom light on and they need to turn yep. it off squeezing the toothpaste the wrong way so yeah we have this romantic notion that if we love each other that it's all happily ever after now it it is happily ever after i think but there are bumps along the road and i really think the bumps are you know they're not a bad thing because i think we learn and we grow as individuals and as a couple to if we effectively go through those bumps and have the resolution and solution. That is not a bad thing. I I just thought of this. The other thing is it's not bad to let your kids see you having good and effective conflict resolution. Yes. And because it's a good skill, I hear all the time, I didn't see my parents 
do this. And so they don't know how to do it. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you have a really good process and it's calm and it's respectful and you're really listening to the other person, that's not a bad thing to let your kids see sometimes. Yeah. And I don't think that we can ever go through life without our kids sometimes seeing the maybe not so good conflict resolutions that happen. Yeah, because we because we aren't perfect. Yeah. And You're so right. but I promise you it's not gonna ruin your child. Well it will it will not. This is real life. But you know, you yeah. don't want to let them see you screaming and yelling and calling names. And we haven't mentioned those steps because I hope they're pretty obvious that you don't scream and yell at the other person or call names. I mean that's kind of basic you shouldn't be doing that ever. At all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why would we treat any other person that way, let alone our partner? If you get to that point, uh, not only did you forget to check the temperature, your thermometer is broken. (laughs) Or check your own temperature. Yeah. 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 You clearly you missed a really key step there. Yes. Yeah. You know, the listeners can do this. You just have to be really mindful about it and take some of the steps. I think it's setting the context before you actually engage in the conversation that increases the likelihood of a positive outcome. Yes. And you, the engager, if you're the one that wants to engage in the conflict resolution, if you're the one that has the problem, you need to take accountability and set the yeah. tone. 